Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode. I hope you are all doing well. I'm doing quite good. I've been doing another round of intakes with clients, so it's been a lot of consultation, setting up with new clients, which I generally really enjoy. I really am trying to work my way through my waitlist and I am sorry that some of you have to wait for quite some time until you hear from me. It's just that I'm only one person and it also is very important for me that when I take on clients, I don't want to take on like a hundred clients at the same time because I, I need to be able to have clients where I can be present and where I have time and energy and resources for the people I take on. I don't ever want a client to feel like anything is rushed or that I'm not present, right? So yeah, if you are interested in working with me, you can head to letsrecover.co.uk and join the waitlist there and I'll drop you an email when I have spots available. But please, 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 if you are on my waitlist, please don't use that as a reason to postpone recovery. You can start now. And for all you know, it could be that you have a consultation with me and you realize that maybe coaching wasn't the right approach for you right now. So please don't take my waiting time as a reason to postpone recovery if you're looking to work with me. I actually find with coaching, people tend to have a lot better response to coaching if they actually have done some work themselves beforehand. Don't let your eating disorder jump in and say, oh, you need to be as sick as possible before you can get help. Because actually, the most common reason why I turn people away, or that sounds really brutal, I don't mean turn people away in that way, but I guess recommend other forms of of support is because I think that they're not in the right space for coaching physically or mentally. And I often find that the best collaboration is with people who've done some work beforehand and are looking for coaching to be like the little push, you know, to challenge those sneaky little behavior that have just kind of stuck with them, right? Because when you're severely undernourished or even maybe underweight, your brain is not really going to be fully there. You may not be as receptible to coaching or to therapy in general. I remember this myself when I started treatment for my eating disorder, my psychologist told me that, you know, food first, we first need to focus on getting you refed, getting you to a bit of a healthier weight, because if we were to start talking and talking and talking now, start with actual like treatment and talking therapy now, you wouldn't be as receptible to it because your brain is quite undernourished. So keep this in mind, whether you are on my waiting list or you're looking to work with someone else or whether you're considering seeking out support whatsoever, please keep this in mind. Anyways, guys, uh, today I am going to talk about a very, very, very sneaky eating disorder behavior that creeps in in a lot of people. So this is a behavior that is very often missed by treatment practitioners. And sometimes I think it can be also missed by the person themselves and also about from the people around them as well, because it's so easy to try and conceal and rationalize it. And that behavior is lower level movement. So lower level movement differs from typical exercise because exercise, then you typically think it is things such as going to the gym, going for a run, you know, intentional exercise. Even though this exercise can be something that's difficult for people to give up in recovery, it might be a little bit easier for them to rationalize, okay, well, 
I am actually in recovery from eating disorder. Maybe going to the gym or going for a run is not what my body needs right now. But even though it can be difficult to take a break from exercise, I often find that people have an easier time quitting that behavior than a lower level movement. And very often a treatment practitioner will say, oh, you can't go to the gym, but you can do this and that and this and that. For instance, oh, you can't go to the gym, but you can go for a walk, that's fine. So lower level movement refers to, as maybe the name suggests, these other forms of insidious forms of movements that the eating disorder tends to hold onto. So one example is walking, although I may argue that walking could also fall under the exercise umbrella. People have this rigid, brisk walk that they go for every morning, you know, that might fall under exercise, but it could kind of fall on t- under both umbrellas. And also lower level movement could be those super sneaky things, such as, for example, you know that you need to go to the post office, right? And you decide, okay, I'm going to go to the post office, but I'm going to take the longer route, you know, instead of taking the shorter routes. So basically, you don't necessarily think, oh, I'm exercising, but you're making sure to move a little bit more, right? Whilst a normal non-disordered person would obviously just kind of taking the short route to the post office. Or another form of lower level movement is just the inability to sit still and sit down. So for instance, you feel like maybe you need to stand up or you feel like you need to be on your feet, maybe do cleaning, do tidying, do cooking. And this is so sneaky because so often it can be confused with just enjoying to be on your feet and enjoying to do things. So often people may be like, oh yeah, I just really enjoy being on my feet, preparing meals, you know, tidying up, keeping it clean in my house, doing some gardening. Again, these behaviors can so quickly be normalized, right? So how do you know if something is that lower level movement like that? How do you know if the lower level movement is disorder or not? Well, the thought of not doing it gives you anxiety. A non-disordered person that simply just quite enjoy cleaning is not going to feel anxious by the thought of sitting down and not cleaning, right? A non-disordered person who just generally enjoys walks is not going to, you know, panic if they can't go for their planned walk. They're not going to go walking just as long even if the weather is bad or even if they're in pain. Think of all the things you enjoy doing, like non-eating disordered. You're not going to feel anxiety by not doing them, right? For example, I I mention this all the time. I really like plants. I like, you know, gardening. I like looking after my plants. I like propagating plants, etc., etc. I enjoy doing that. I don't get anxious by the thought of not doing that. I mean, maybe if I saw that my plants were all dying and I couldn't look after them, yeah, I'd be a bit like, oh no. But I don't get anxious by the thought of taking a day of not looking after my plants or taking a day off, you know, <laughs> looking after like my garden and stuff. I do that all the time. It's not something that brings me anxiety to not do. It's like there are so many other things I enjoy doing, but that doesn't mean I get anxious by not doing them. A person who enjoys solving puzzles is not going to be anxious because they are unable to solve the puzzle that day. They may be a bit like, oh, it would have been nice to do my puzzling today, but they're not going to be anxious, right? But if you have an eating disorder, the thought of not doing this lower level movement, if that's something that brings you anxiety, then chances are that is something you need to investigate. It can literally creep up in the most sneaky ways, you know, such as, okay, well, you need to go to the grocery store. Yeah, generally, you need, you're in recovery. You need to go in grocery store and buy your fear fruits. Yeah, that's fine. But then you catch yourself kind of like the post office example, taking the longer route, maybe walking around a lot in the mall, maybe going to different stores. You know, again, you notice that you just, you can't quite sit down and people may be thinking, oh, well, I mean, 
so what? I mean, I'm not exercising in that way. Why, why is it a problem if I take the slightly longer route to the supermarket? What is the problem if I am cleaning my floors every day? Isn't, isn't that good, you know? Clean floors? No, it's not good. And here is why. By taking these decisions, even though they seem like small little things, you're feeding the eating disorder. And be honest with yourself. Do you want to live a life where you imagine you you're spending some time with someone you love and you guys were supposed to go for an evening walk but then the weather got bad and you wanted to watch a movie instead do you want to be in a point where in your life where that gives you anxiety don't you want to be at a point in your life where you can enjoy the things you enjoy without that constant background guilt and anxiety i've had so many clients that have this issue especially with that like walking and everyday movements and especially that thing with like, oh yeah, I need to find a reason to go to the grocery store every day. And of course, don't get me wrong, sometimes people enjoy going to a grocery store, that's fine, you know? I always forget buying things and then I, I need to come back, but it's literally like down the street for me, right? But then they just always find a reason to walk to the grocery store, walk to the one the furthest away, take extra rounds, right? And this can be so difficult for other people to spot and even spotting it in yourself can sometimes be difficult. But again, be honest with yourself and ask yourself, does taking the short route makes you feel anxious or guilty? And it's so difficult because there are certain activities we kind of need to do. So for instance, imagine you, you have a dog, right? You kind of need to take the dog out, but do you feel anxiety by the thought of letting someone else take the dog out, right? Or taking the dog to the dog park and sitting down instead of walking the dog, right? doesn't bring you anxiety to the thought of maybe driving the dog somewhere that it can run freely whilst you're standing there watching it instead of you doing the walking, right? Do you get annoyed when someone else decides to clean the floor or, you know, go run some errands that you were supposed to do? They doing it for you, does that make you annoyed, right? Do you want a life where someone doing you a favor, running an errand for you, is something that makes you stressed and annoyed. So it is completely understandable that we have certain things we need to do. We need to eventually clean the floor. We need to eventually, if you have like pets or small children, we need to look after them, right? But please be mindful, which of the behaviors are driven by that anxiety? And also it is okay to let other people do things for you as well. If you can, you know, if you are in recovery and you need to post something and someone offers to run to the post office for you, it's okay to say yes to that. Someone offers to take the dog out or look after your child for the morning, it is okay to accept that help. And be mindful if you're turning down that help, is are you turning down that help because that doesn't give you the reason to engage in this lower level movement. This lower level movement can just sneak up in so many forms and another way it sneaks up sometimes is through like stretching and yoga because very often people in eating disorder treatment they've been told you know you can't do exercise but you can do some walking hence why i mentioned the walking bits earlier you can do some yoga you can do some stretching and like i i get that i hear that because physically it may not necessarily harm your body in the same way to do some stretching that it will do going for a run right but mentally if you are making the decision to do that stretching or that yoga because you feel guilt, if not, then chances are you're making a decision based on the eating disorder. If you are genuinely just enjoying stretching and it's something that if the stretching session got cancelled, if someone came to visit you, surprised you and you didn't have the chance to do stretching, that's something that doesn't give you any stressing anxiety. I mean, 
then it's fine, right? But it's so important to be honest with yourself about what drives the behavior. And such a good indicator to see what drives the behavior is to see how you would feel about the thought of the behavior being interrupted or canceled. One thing that I would say also, which is very important, is it's completely impossible for two truths to exist at once, right? Very often people may be walking for a disordered reason. They might have that compulsive walking. They need to walk X amount, you know, in a day. But there could be that that person also generally enjoys walking. That is completely normal. Or someone is compulsively cleaning and tidying, but that person is someone who generally quite enjoys cleaning in general. So again, these truths can exist at once. And I say that because so often people are like, yeah, but I actually enjoy walking, you know? I I like walking. And then they think that is the reason that kind of makes it okay, right? Even though they know that they enjoy walking and it has become a disordered behavior. And here's the thing. If you're someone who enjoys walking, don't you want walking to be a pleasurable, non-disordered behavior that you can enjoy in peace without your eating disorder joining on that walk? Shouldn't that be a reason to really, really help and improve your relationship with walking so that you can fully enjoy it? And this goes for so many activities, right? For instance, imagine if you're someone who just loves playing tennis. Shouldn't it then be a good reason to work on your relationship with movement so you can play tennis without the eating disorder being in the background, right? So if you are enjoying one of these activities, instead of feeling, well, then it doesn't apply to me, maybe then instead think, well, then it really does apply to me because I I want to repair my relationship with this activity so that I can do it without the eating disorder. And it is also true that some people may find that recovery changes their preferences, right? I've heard a lot of people who genuinely really enjoyed, for example, yoga. And then as they recover, they're kind of like, mm, that's not really my kind of movement. I thought I was really into yoga, but it turns out I'm more into like, I don't know, hiking in nature, climbing mountains. You know, these are just some random examples. Or maybe realize that, you know, I'm actually just not really like an exercise person. I'm just not that into yoga or any kind of movement. That's fine as well. You don't have to be someone who absolutely loves exercise and exercises on a regular, you know? And you may find very often after recovery, you may just need a complete break from all kind of exercise and movement for some time because the eating disorder has really tainted your relationship with it. That's fine. So another example of a way that lower level movement may show up is, you know, just that restlessness, fidgeting, constantly moving, even when sitting down, moving around, or preferring to stand up instead of sitting, you know, it can come up in the sneakiest, sneakiest way. And is that how you want to spend the rest of your life? Don't you want to be able to sit down and relax? When you look at it that way, this lower level movement is not really as innocent as it may seem. For a person without an eating disorder, doing an extra leap around the grocery store may be completely harmless behavior. I mean, it wouldn't really affect them in that way. But if you're doing that with an eating disorder and you're doing it because your eating disorder is instructing you to do that, then that can be very, very, very harmful because you're strengthening the pathways in your brain of the eating disorder. So a last example, I know I've given a few examples, but there are so many other examples of how this lower level movement obsession can, you know, show up. But one example that I think can be almost particularly scary is people will actively seek out situations or even careers that allows for more movement. Just like people with eating disorders can have a tendency to seek out careers that emphasize a focus on food and potentially body, there's also sometimes this this thing I've seen, I've seen it with some clients, you know, seeking out, for instance, a work or a path of studying that emphasizes and allows for a lot of movement. 
even though this may not be what they originally dreamed about doing, you know? Just avoiding their dream job or their dream path or the interests they love because they're scared of the sitting still part. And I think that's just pretty devastating, you know? Imagine choosing a job that's not really the job you want just because it allows for this lower level movement. Think about that. That is, that is scary. And don't get me wrong, there are some people who genuinely, they want to, they've been dreaming about, for instance, becoming a nurse, which is an example of a job that creates, like you have to be a lot on your, on your feet, right? That is generally what they've been dreaming about and it has nothing to do with the movement part, right? But then there are people who actively choose the jobs or maybe job roles that allows for more running around. So for example, if the nurse example, right? Imagine you wanted to be a nurse, but you're choosing the area of nursing that allows for you being on your feet the most rather than the one that you really want. And this is the thing with an eating disorder, right? Unless you're careful and, you know, really investigate, right? It will tend to try and sneak in, in these subtle ways that very often is overlooked by the people around you and even by your treatment professionals. It takes a very skilled treatment professional to spot these behaviors, right? And even if they spotted, you may be very well in a position where you can rationalize, normalize, defend. For example, yeah, of course I go for a daily walk. I have a dog that needs to walk, right? But then, yes, that, that is true. That is true. But then again, if someone was saying, hey, do you want to drive to the dog park and sit down and let our dogs run around? then that will give you anxiety. Can you see Can you see here how the eating disorder kind of creeps in? So if you're listening to this now and you're just like, oh no, oh no, this is me, this is me. And now you're wondering, okay, what do I do? So the answer is, what can I say? Answer is simple but not easy, right? It's simple because it's pretty straightforward. It's not easy because it is difficult to fight these urges, right? You need to rest and you need to stop these behaviors. Personally, I would probably advocate for going cold turkey on them because, again, if you give the eating disorder just a tiny, tiny bit, it tends to take a lot. So start, for instance, by challenging yourself. For instance, imagine if you have a thing with standing up, right? Challenge yourself to sit down and notice that you actually are able to sit with those feelings, right? Very often eating disorder will tell you, oh, you, you will not tolerate those feelings. You can't handle it. But of course you can. You have so much more power than the eating disorder will tell you that you have. Learning to sit in the discomfort and doing the opposite actions regardless is an extremely important skill in recovery. Because when it comes to these sneaky behaviors, you can't think yourself out of them. You can't just think some magical thoughts that will then make you stop having urges to take an extra round around the grocery store. That's not how it works. You have to cut the behavior and sit with the additional discomfort that comes. Remember, recovery is not about avoiding discomfort. It's actually about actively chasing discomfort and doing the things that give you discomfort over and over again until they stop giving you discomfort. Because here's the thing. The first time you take the shortcut to the post office instead of the long route, or the first time you, you know, sit down when you feel like standing up, it's going to feel very, very difficult. But as you keep repeating it, if you keep doing the opposite actions of what eating disorder tells you, you notice that it feels easier with time. Why? 
because you're feeding the narrow pathways of recovery instead of the one of an eating disorder. It may feel unusual in the beginning, but eventually it gets easier because it becomes almost a new habit. For example, for me, when I go to the grocery store, it doesn't even strike me to take the longer route. You know, I don't even know where the longer route would be, you know, because it's something that is such a habit for me to go to a grocery store and take the quickest route. And I don't even have urges to stand up because why would I stand up? I like sitting down, right? Another thing that may be helpful if you're struggling with this behavior is to be a bit aware of what is actually going on, right? So what we see with eating disorders, and especially if someone is undernourished and also potentially underweight, is that it tends to create a restlessness and urges to move or urges to migrate. I will talk more about basically the adapted to flee famine theory about eating disorders and movement in the future. But I would recommend, if you're interested, you can give it a read. It's actually, the, the article and study is available online. You just seek Adapted to Flee Famine. And it's by Dr. Stephanie Gussinger. But to kind of simplify it and compress it a little bit, essentially, in people with eating disorders, especially those with anorexia, but restrictive eating disorders in general, right? Restriction, undernourishment, being under one set point range, you know, any of these will tend to create urges to migrate, urges to move. And there is an actual evolutionary basis to this. There's an evolutionary explanation of why that might be. And interestingly enough, this is not something you see just in humans. You actually also see it in animals. For example, rats that are being starred will start excessively running on, on their wheel in their cage. Essentially, people with eating disorders tend to have this very absurd reaction to starvation where instead of being tired, sluggish, they instead notice they get almost hyperactive, right? This doesn't go for everyone with an eating disorder. Me personally, I did not really experience excessive urges to move, so this is not something that applies to everyone. And just because you don't notice that doesn't mean that you don't have an eating disorder, you're not under underweight or undernourished, you know. That that's not how it works. Because again, I, I generally did not really have much urges to move. But I did notice a bit of an inner restlessness that I can really confirm. But yeah, for some people, they notice they just get excessive urges to move and an inability to sit still, right? Essentially, what is important to say is that you're running on stress hormones here. You're not running on a joy of moving, right? This is not you just really enjoying moving. This is actually stress hormones. In the same way that if a bear broke into my house right now, I would run, even though I don't like running, not particularly fan. But if a bear came in here, I would run. Would I run because I loved running? No, I'll be running on survival and stress hormones. And the same thing goes with movement and eating disorders. Interestingly enough, what I see very often is that refeeding and weight restoration tends to, for some people, actually improve these excessive urges to move. But you do also need to actively challenge it. And you might also find that the guilt of recovery can make you even more likely to engage in this lower level movement. So you're maybe be thinking, well, I'll quit exercise and now I will do more cleaning, right? Or now I'll find other ways to move that. It's not necessarily exercise, but it's still movement. Basically the disordered part of you may activate it as well. So then combine this like evolutionary, you know, urges to migrate with the guilt of an eating disorder voila, you have a lethal combination. I want to remind you that you need rest. You deserve rest, right? Rest is not some like luxury that you need to earn, right? Rest is just inherently something we need. And in recovery, oh, you especially need rest. 
especially. You're healing your body and you're also healing your mind. If you notice that the urges to go for that walk is actually anxiety-driven, is eating disorder-driven, then chances are the healthier option would be to stay at home and rest instead. And by doing this, you can eventually get into the activities that you actually enjoy in a non-disordered way. That's how you will find out if you are someone who enjoys going for walks or if you're someone who enjoys spending the evening on the sofa instead. Either is fine. But in order to get there, you may need to go through a period of complete rest and then start rediscovering. So keep as a recovery mantra that if it is eating disorder driven, it's probably best to avoid it. Even if your doctor has not explicitly told you don't go for a walk, but you know it's eating disorder driven, then you're doing yourself such a huge disservice by not challenging the eating disorder in the situation. Because remember, you're the one who's going to suffer the consequences, right? Your doctor is not going to suffer the consequences by you going for that walk and maintaining the disordered urges to move. It's going to be you. It's going to be you who had planned an evening walk with your partner, but the weather started getting really bad and your partner was like, oh, it's fine, I just ordered us some food, let's stay inside. And then you have a tantrum or you have anxiety for that. That's going to be you suffering those consequences. It's going to be you who get mad at your dog for, you know, being sick and not being able to walk. Or pushing the old poor dog on a round that it's not capable of anymore because you need to get the walking in. Recovery is about finding and creating inner peace. And if you're constantly, constantly have to do something, have to move, that's not really peaceful. That is an extreme form of restlessness. And that's why working on challenging it, it's so, so, so important. You deserve peace, freedom, rest, and everything good. So let's move over to this week's listener question. And this week's listener question really ties into what I've spoken about in this episode. So the person is asking, how do I deal with my sports match being cancelled? How do I enjoy doing things that are not as active as my eating disorder want them to be? So I probably covered a lot of that already in this episode, but I think it's could be an idea to worth considering to take a complete break from these active activities and allow yourself to sit with the discomfort of rest until returning to them. So for example, if you have a sports match, could it maybe be an idea to actually take a bit of a break from sports for some time, work on fully healing yourself mentally and physically, and then maybe go back to it afterwards when you're in a better place. And it could also be that you realize that that particular sport wasn't really for you. It was more the eating disorder being like, yay, an activity that keeps you active. And you realize, actually, that sport was not for me. I'm more into chess, you know. I'd rather sit down and play chess rather than running around doing this sport, whatever it is. But the truth is, sometimes the best way to figure out what you like and what you don't like is actually to take a break take a step back and then approach it from a healthier mindset i want to remind you when your sports match got cancelled and if you notice that you get upset about this for disordered reasons i'm assuming because you're asking for this podcast you're not upset because oh sports it's really nice to play sports it's more like oh no i was going to be active and now i'm not going to be as active because this match was cancelled i want to remind you that by actually taking that rest not doing that sport match that is the most healing thing for you that is the most recovery promoting thing for you so the fact that it feels 
uncomfortable. The fact that it feels wrong is a sign that it is right. And it's also so important that you sit with these feelings instead of thinking, well, okay, my sports match was canceled. Let's go for a run, right? Because as long and when you start, you know, doing other forms of movement to please the eating disorder because there was a cancellation, that is just reinforcing the disordered parts. Remember that health is relative and you got a mental health to, to, to look after as well. If skipping that sports match is something that gives you extreme anxiety, then you probably need to skip that sports match. And in terms of enjoying activities that are not as active as eating disorder ones, I would actually say that that can be a very valuable thing to do in recovery, right? So for example, imagine if you if you have extreme urges to exercise. What I often recommend to clients if they have extreme urges to move is to sit down and do a distraction activity that does not implement actual movement. So for example, doing puzzling, drawing, you know, these kind of things. Then you're doing something that can be, you know, you're doing something, but you're not actually moving your body and you're doing a relaxing activity that is not necessarily what you're eating disorder wants, but it's something that gives you that little bit of distraction without numbing, right? Because we want to create that balance between, you know, having fun distraction activities such as puzzling or watching a movie or, you know, drawing, but also accepting that you can also sit in your feelings, right? And you know what? In the beginning, truth is, it may not be as enjoyable, right? Because you're used to getting that dopamine hit from, you know, for instance, going for a run. It may not hit the same in the beginning to do some drawing, but this is the thing. You still need to do it. You still need to do the relaxing activities. You still need to sit down. It could be an idea to maybe plan a bit ahead. For example, if you know, okay, I'm going to be quite triggered today because my sport match is cancelled, then maybe find the puzzle and put it ready on the table. Uh, bring some snack or make some hot chocolate and kind of make it a little bit of a nice activity. And then you will see that if you kind of get used to doing more relaxing activities and don't engage in the disordered activities, you may notice that with time it gets easier. Because essentially what's happening is your brain has an anxiety response to rest, right? But the best way to help with anxiety is by doing the thing that makes you anxious repeatedly until your brain registers that, hey, this is not actually that dangerous and scary. And you know that the world didn't end because your sports match was cancelled. It was fine. It turned out to be fine. And you could sit with those feelings and you could do another relaxing activity that didn't implement a lot of movement. I understand this is difficult and unfortunately there is no magical spell that I can say that will take away that anxiety because essentially you need to sit in the anxiety. And I know that sucks. Oh, we don't like sitting in anxiety, do we? I still don't like it when I'm anxious about things. I do not like sitting in anxiety. It's not a nice feeling. For example, you sent a risky email or text and you're waiting for the response. You're gonna feel anxious, but what do you do? You sit with it. You don't send 15 follow-up texts to ease your anxiety because you know that's not gonna really gonna help, right? You sit with it. So I can imagine in your life, there are other situations where you are capable of sitting with your anxiety. For example, if you're someone who's still at school or uni, waiting to get a grade back, having an exam, you're probably gonna feel quite anxious, but you're able to sit with that, right? So you know that's a skill you already have or have utilized in some other area of your life. So why would you be unable to utilize it in your recovery? Your eating disorder will tell you you'll be unable to utilize it, but has your eating disorder had a track record of being right? Just saying. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and if you do, please leave a rating on Spotify or iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
wherever you are listening. And I also really want to thank everyone who's been spreading the word about my podcast, sharing it in their stories, sharing with the friend. These things really mean a lot. It helps me as a creator and also it may help other people because if this podcast was a resource that you found helpful, then chances are there may be someone else who needed to hear exactly what you needed to hear, right? So yeah, I genuinely appreciate you guys and thank you for being here. And I look forward to talking with you guys next week.